Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. The book of Jonah is our series. This is part five in the series. Today's entitled A Second Chance from Jonah chapter three. My sources for today's message includes John Calvin's commentaries on Jonah, Gordon Ketty's commentary entitled Preacher on the Run, Bob Deffenbaugh's studies Jonah the Prodigal Prophet, a message by Paul Decker entitled Getting It Right, and the commentary by Richard Phillips on Jonah from the Reformed Expository Commentary. As we begin this morning, uh, we're going to begin with the last verse from last week, which is Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And it reads, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You know, it, it's no wonder that the story of Jonah gets hit by the critics so often. Uh, couldn't the Bible think of a more dignified word, churchier word than vomit? But actually, the Hebrew word is more graphic than vomit. And so the writer wants to be sure that you know that, that Jonah wasn't just dropped off on dry land by an angel. He wants you to know the fish regurgitated Jonah onto the land. And so as Jonah lands on shore, he arrives as a ridiculous-looking figure covered with who knows what. Um, whatever great big fish eat, that's probably what was on Jonah. And that brings us to chapter 3, the first verse. And, uh, and this is a beautiful verse. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So stand with me for the reading of God's holy word as we read uh, through our text. Jonah 3, 1 through 10. Hear the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Good choice. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this, your word, and I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the message you have for each of us here today. Help us again to see ourselves in Jonah. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are a number of times in life where you only get one chance, one chance to get it right. I think about those three poor kids that play for Arkansas, 
and that pop fly. And they had one chance. Get that pop fly caught and they're national champions. And now they have to live with this for the rest of their lives and know that preachers like me are mentioning this story. And they're just kids. Come on, you know. And even if you need a second chance, sometimes it's just not available. You had one shot and you blew it. And that's all there is to it. And that's the way it is in many areas of life. There's not a thing in the world you can do about it sometimes. If you borrow money from the bank and don't pay it back, then the chances are you probably won't get another chance. If you are working on a big project and you mess it up, you probably won't get another chance to do the job right. And you'll probably miss out on the promotion. In golf, they have what you call a mulligan. And those of us who play golf wish that it applied more than to the first tee. It's another chance when you hit a bad shot. So without exception, we could all use a second chance from time to time. Now, just a quick refresher. God called Jonah, who was a prophet. He told him, go to Nineveh and preach to them the gospel. Actually, God said this, go to Nineveh and preach against the city because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah said, no. Pretty bold to tell God, no. So there's an important truth, and it's our first lesson of the day. And that is this. If you look at your outline, number one, God sometimes graciously offers us a second chance. Sometimes. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. And this is to me pretty incredible. I mean, God could have easily given up on Jonah, but he did not. In fact, lots of people, myself included, might say, God, you should have given up on Jonah. But God was merciful to Jonah, and he offered him a second chance. Some of you read the classic Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. The pilgrim is the Christian who is moving toward heaven. His progress is made slow by the weight that he carries on his back. He faces obstacles at every turn. He is threatened by the slough of despond. He is tripped up by the likes of Mr. Worldly Wise. Bunyan understood the many temptations and the many pitfalls that stand in our path as a believer in Jesus Christ. But he also understood two very important truths about the Christian life. And that is this. We are pilgrims and we're making progress. Sanctification is a theological term that is used oftentimes in talking about the progress that a Christian makes in the Christian life. Sanctification is a process. It is a gradual process. My professor, R.C. Sproul, used to say, Run for your life from those who promise you instant gratification. Run for your life. Another professor of mine in seminary, Dr. Palmer Robertson, had this to say about Jonah's second chance. He said, God forgets and never holds the thing against you. Think of how wonderful are the implications of that one fact for your life. That God forgets and never holds the thing against you. 
Jonah was given a second chance by God, just as some of us in this place have been given a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a 99th chance to get it right. When we have repented and turned back to the Lord. I mean, to me, the Bible is such great encouragement. Abraham was given multiple chances to get it right. Jacob was given multiple chances. Yeah, he had a permanent hip disorder, but he had another chance. Moses received a second chance after he murdered the Egyptian. Peter was given a second chance after he denied he even knew Jesus three times. Sometimes because of our rebellion, we don't get it right until we hit 50. When we could have gotten it right at 20. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we ever start looking up. And you say, well, I'll just wait on my second chance with God. And that is being highly presumptuous. In doing so, you never consider how painful those choices are. I mean, Jonah could have avoided a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of trouble if he had simply obeyed God the first time. And sometimes, my friends, we we put off getting right with God and we never get that second chance. You know, I'm, I'm not a young man anymore. I don't like to admit that. But I've been doing this a long time. I was a youth director, a student ministries director like Chip for about 10 or 11 years. And I lost some good kids who died in tragic accidents. And they still haunt me. My wife and I were talking about one of those accidents yesterday. And I even texted my friend in the youth group from where I was the youth director and and said, what was, what was that guy's other, the other kid? See, I knew Tim. I remember Tim well. Because Tim was putting off getting his life right with the Lord. He told us that. And Tim and his friend Ken were killed in a car wreck the summer after their senior year in high school. And so, you know, providentially, this was already something I was going to share It has nothing to do with what happened last night. And at the same time, it has everything to do with what happened last night. Now is the best time to take advantage of God's call on your life. Not tomorrow. Not the next year. Not when I feel like I'm ready. Now is the acceptable time. 2 Corinthians 6.2, the Apostle Paul writes, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next month, not next year. Today. Because you see, there is no guarantee that God will continue to be patient with your rebellion. If you're rebelling against the Lord like Jonah, do something about it now as the Lord pricks your heart. And if you do, you will find Him to be the God, the gracious God of second chances. Consider just how gracious it was of God to not only restore Jonah in his relationship to himself, but also to restore Jonah to his office as a prophet of the Lord. And then to send him on the same assignment as before to Nineveh. And that leads to our second lesson of the day, which is God sometimes graciously offers us the gift of repentance. 
You see, repentance is also a gift of God. Repentance is not something that we can just decide to do at any point in time. We respond to the call of God to repent. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was a large city, as the scripture says. It's described in our text in our text as saying it took him three days to walk it. And secular history has a great deal more background information concerning the city of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. It's modern day Mosul, Iraq. That's Nineveh. On the eastern bank of the Tigris River. And it was a people that in the year 612 B.C. was wiped out in the Battle of Nineveh. Battle that involved a coalition of forces, including the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and a whole bunch of others that went in there and just took them out. That's a couple hundred years from when we're talking about now in the time of Jonah. So, no doubt, as Jonah is walking through the city of Nineveh, People have heard about him. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have, you know, Twitter. They didn't have any way of communicating socially like that. But um, they had the old-fashioned word of mouth. And the word was traveling about this preacher that was walking through their city who looked like death. No matter how it took place or, or why the people didn't just laugh him off solely based on his appearance alone. The fact is, Jonah's message was loud and clear. And the people responded favorably to his message. How did this happen? Well, how does it ever happen? Before there's true repentance, there has to be several ingredients. And I want you to list those if you would in your outline. Number one is conviction of sin. Conviction of sin. As we saw last week, Jesus spoke of the sign of Jonah. And Jesus went on to say that the people of of Nineveh actually repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And he was speaking of himself. Jesus was speaking of himself. Something greater than Jonah is here. The Son of God is standing before you, and you still refuse to repent. And the question is, why did they repent? After all, what in the world would cause such a wicked people like the Ninevites to repent of their sins with only one preacher proclaiming God's judgment to them? I mean, obviously, repentance is about to take place, but, but where did all this come from? Well, actually, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was operative in the Old Testament. We don't see Him like we do in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit appeared for a time and then would be withdrawn. And he would come upon Samson. He would come upon David. He would come upon people and then be withdrawn. The Holy Spirit today is convicting of sin. John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he writes, he says these words, When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. So no doubt, as Jonah preaches, he's, he's laying out the law literally to them. Proclaiming the judgment that is coming. He even tells them a timeline. you got 40 days. 40 days. And Nineveh will fall. Now, here's a question. What about the gospel? Because there's no salvation without the gospel. We don't hear anything about the gospel in Jonah's preaching. I mean, it is Old Testament. But if God's grace in Nineveh begins with the law, where is the gospel? 
And the answer is, it's in Jonah. It's in Jonah. Jonah, by his very presence, as one who came back from the dead, so to speak, was a living sermon to them about the grace of God that brings life to the dead and delivers sinners from a just condemnation. Before he ever uttered a single word, Jonah was a sign and a wonder among these people. He was a sign of the certain wrath of God against sin, but also a sign that a sinner can be spared, just as Jonah had been spared. For the Ninevites, they saw both the cloud and the silver lining in the prophet from Israel. And they were convicted of their sin. That's the first step in repentance. Secondly is sorrow for sin. Sorrow for sin. Look at verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, what was he proclaiming? He was proclaiming judgment upon the city. And then the next verse is so incredible. Verse 5 says, the Ninevites believed God. Which is pretty incredible to me. that This wicked city did not laugh in his face, did not dismiss him, did not try to off his head as their reputation was. They simply believed God. They believed the prophet. Verse 5 goes on to say that they called a fast and, and then they put on sackcloth, which was to be worn as a, a sign of mourning usually worn over one's clothes. And figuratively, figuratively speaking, this was done to symbolize the fact that they were grieving over their sin. The king himself also got up from his throne. He put, on his, he put off his regal vesture and, and he too put on sackcloth and even sat in the dust. From the greatest, it says, to the very least, the entire city was not only convicted of their sin, but they were also grief-stricken as to how much their sin had offended Jonah's God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And like some of you, you may have turned to 1 Corinthians. I did the same thing. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. And it says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. It's particularly interesting to me that there was apparently no need for the people to be told what their wicked ways really were. I'm sure Jonah could have filled in the blanks, but it seems that no one needed any clarification. And I believe that if someone like Jonah appeared proclaiming God's impending judgment, we would have very little difficulty determining what it is that we are doing that is offensive to God. And this was obviously the case with the Ninevites as they put on sackcloth and then sat down in the dust like the Philippian jailer of another era, they wondered what they might do to be saved. They were that broken over their sins. And you remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we mourn over our sinfulness and over bad choices that we've made in years past. We can't go back, so what do we do? We, we mourn over those bad choices that led to, to sins in our lives. 
But the third step is the all-important step because if all you do is mourn over your sin, you haven't gone far enough. And that's the final step is number three, turning from sin. Turning from it. Bo and I talked about this on our trip to, to General Assembly. You know, saying I'm sorry is really not enough. Saying I'm sorry is really not enough. You have to put some actions there that prove you're sorry. The fruit of repentance is what it's called. Look at verse 8 in Jonah 3. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let the, everyone urgently call upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and have compassion. Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. What the king has experienced is what the people have experienced. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It's not enough to feel the pangs of guilt for your sin. It's not enough to feel a sense of sorrow and regret over your sin. Before there is ever repentance, there must be an actual turning from sin. The great theologian J.I. Packer writes, Repentance is a change of mind issuing in a change of life. In other words, it, it does something to you. you. You may not always do it right, but it changes your want to. You don't want to do the same things anymore when you repent. Nineveh was notorious for its violence. So here the king acknowledges the evil of their ways and calls upon the people to turn away from their sin. And when the king says, let everyone call urgently on God, he also hits squarely on target what the people must ultimately do, which is turn from their sin to God. The God of Jonah. And so repentance is not just when you stop doing bad things. It also means you actively pursue Good things. Not that you will ever do that perfectly. If you learn anything by reading the Scriptures or hearing me today, learn this. No one repents in a perfect fashion. Even on their best days. Do you know who J.D. Greer is? J.D. Greer is the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, he's written a really good book a few years back called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. That sounds kind of contrary, doesn't it? Like, what, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's, that's why you put titles like that on books. People want to read them when you put titles like that. Stop asking Jesus into your heart, he says. And he explains what he means in there. He wants you to do more than just ask Jesus into your heart. He wants you to, to actually put him on the throne as king. Because he makes the point that you're either on the throne or Jesus is on the throne of your life. And he says, if you're on the throne, then Jesus is on that cross. And if Jesus is on the throne, you're on that cross. There's the difference. He tells about that odd little story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3 in his book. He talks about John the Baptist offering a baptism of repentance, right? And lots of people were coming to John to repent and to be baptized. But then Jesus stepped into the water. And John objected. Why do you need to be baptized? You should baptize me. In other words, what do you, Jesus, have to repent of? And Jesus' answer, you remember it? He said his baptism was not the same as John's. It was a baptism to fulfill all righteousness. So what does that mean? Whose righteousness would Jesus fulfill? And the answer is, my righteousness. My righteousness. Your righteousness. We are not righteous in ourselves. We are only righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
we stand in the grace of God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because of the active obedience of Jesus Christ, who went to the cross as a sinless lamb, the lamb of God. And so Jesus lived the life that I should have lived. He did it perfectly in my place. And the good news for me and the good news for you is I don't have to repent perfectly because Jesus already did that for me. As the 18th century hymn writer put it, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. And apparently the Ninevites didn't know as much about the one true God as Jonah did, but they knew enough to turn to God in repentance. And how much more should you and I as Christians, knowing more than the Ninevites and even more than Jonah, freely and eagerly turn from our sin and in repentance before God, pleading for His grace and pleading for His mercy through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today is a, a, a difficult day. For our church family, as we've lost a, a sweet, sweet girl who loved the Lord, not perfectly, I'm sure, but she loved the Lord. And I believe she is with the Lord now. And that's a comfort to me. And I believe it's a comfort to you. And we're approaching the 4th of July, the, the birthday of our country, the day of independence. And I hope that it will be a day that you remember to be completely dependent on the Lord. Give thanks to God for this wonderful country that we live in where we are free to worship like this. And so many, like our friend, Brother Andrew, are not. And are locked up in a prison unjustly because of his faith. Pray for Andrew Brunson. Pray for his release. Please join me every day in praying for Andrew. I didn't show you this last week, but Bo and I received it. At General Assembly, all the commissioners received this little band that says, Pray for Andrew Brunson. And if you'd like one, we can order some and, and get you some. So it depends on how many of you respond. I, I hope you'll respond and let us know. But pray for our country. Pray for this country that so far seems to be turning away from the Lord rather than to the Lord. And the gospel goes out in many churches throughout our community and throughout this nation and I guarantee you many of those calls today are for this country to turn back to the Lord. Join me in praying for that as we look at our verse of the week, which is 2 Corinthians 7.14, which is a wonderful reminder that if we will turn to the Lord, He will, in His grace and mercy, return to us and heal our land. Please read that out loud with me. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by My name, will humble themselves and pray and seek My face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we give You thanks and praise for this day, for the privilege that we have to worship You, we praise You for Your abundant grace and mercy. We ask, Lord, that You remind us of the ways in which You have shown Your mercy to us so often, Lord. You have been gracious when we don't deserve it. And so, Father, thank You that You've given us today a day of salvation, a day in which we can turn to You, Lord, 
and repent of our rebellion and enable you to work through us and give us a second chance. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will convict us of our sin and and give us grief over our sin. And Lord, enable us to repent and turn from our sin to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In closing.